0: We've been in this series for, this is week 12, talking about the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, as some scripture says. It's basically two main characters we've been looking at, the Shulamite woman and her beloved king, King Solomon specifically. It's a picture of the church and Jesus. The woman represents the church, the bride of Christ. The king obviously represents the one and only king, Jesus. And we've been talking about how to walk in an intimate relationship with God. So many times the church depicts a relationship with God as something a little distant, maybe even unachievable at times. But I assure you, it is the most intimate thing you could ever experience for all eternity. Amen? Amen. So just a little recap from two weeks ago. In the first five verses of Song of Songs, chapter 3, we saw that this Shulamite woman is so lost in her relationship with her beloved, the king, that she wakes up in the middle of the night. And when she wakes up in the middle of the night, she has one longing and one desire. She wants to be with her king. Her natural was that she woke up wanting to be with him. And she went out in the streets looking for him. And finally, she finds him, or rather, kind of realizes he's always been there. Grabbed onto him, wouldn't let him go. And as I was kind of reading that and reminding myself of what we talked about two weeks ago, I came across this scripture in Isaiah chapter 26, in verse 9, it says, With my soul, I have desired you in the night. It's kind of cool, right? We see the same yearning as a Shulamite woman waking up in the night. Isaiah says, with my soul, I desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The posture of us should be so lost in an identity in Christ that in all things and at all times, we would seek him in all things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's not, let me try to get everything right. It's, let me seek him first, and getting things right is a flow from my posture of seeking. The church for so long has taught this earning aspect of, if I live a perfect life, then I will get blessing. No, no, no. You can never earn the blessings of God. You can never earn right standing with God. Jesus bought the right standing for you. Jesus purchased access for you to have all of heaven open to whatever you need on this earth. It is available to you. The, the part we play is, God, I'm going to seek you in every decision. I'm going to seek you in the way I respond to people I love. I'm going to seek you in the way I respond to people I dislike. I'm going to respond to you in what you want for me, not what I want for myself the more we get lost in relationships, Scripture says, He actually gives us the desires of our heart. The heart can be the most deceptive thing we have, the Scripture says. So if, you've ever, if you lead your life by the idea of just follow your heart, I say to you that you're actually following the wrong thing. Seek first Jesus. Seek first God. Seek first the Father, and He will give you desires that are actually in line with what He's always wanted for you. How will the world know the righteousness of God when we walk according to the judgment of what what is righteous and what is not? Judgment for us is no longer heaven or hell if you're a believer. That's that's done. If you're a believer, there is no more conversation about heaven or hell. Your destiny is, is bought with a price. So the purpose... Is it, or, I'm sorry, judgment is no longer heaven or hell, rather it is purpose, it, whether the thing is purposeful or not. God, judge my action so that you can highlight, is this according to purpose? Or is this out of line with where you want me to go? Purpose for what? To be a light to the inhabitants of the world. Because we may be in the world, but we are not supposed to be of the world. We are not supposed to look like culture. We're supposed to influence the culture. We are the inhabitants of heaven governing a world that we were actually placed into. Y'all, y'all okay? Okay. The question is are you so lost in relationship with God? that you can no longer be identified of this world? If someone can help me out, there's a lot of ringing on stage or something. If someone can go up there and help a little bit, maybe take me out of the monitors or something. Are you so lost in relationship with God that you can no longer be identified of this world? In Mark chapter four, it says this in verse 39. He arose, rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, peace be still. This is the scripture where they are in the boat, there's a storm coming, and, and, and the, the, the disciples are freaking out because the waves are crashing and all this stuff's happening. And Jesus says, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said unto them, why are ye so fearful? Y'all know it's different than I'm reading in the King James. How is it that ye have no faith? They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? What what kind of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus was so lost in the identity of being the Son, the Word of God, the Son of the Father, that when people looked at him, they said, What manner does this man speak of? When he talks, the earth obeys him. When he talks, the storms cease. When he talks to the dead, the dead get out of the grave. What manner of man is this? What what kind of man is this? This man is not bound by any law. Law is bound to him. What kind of man is this? Because he ain't of this world. And this kind of man they were seeing was the Son of God. There was something different about Jesus that everyone saw and took notice of. When he talks, when he does things, stuff happens. And he's called the Son of God. Now here's what's beautiful about him being called the Son of God. Look at this in 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them says the Lord. Don't touch your filthy things and I will welcome you. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He invites you to the same relationship, the same status as Jesus has as a son of the Most High. And the son of the Most High, when the son speaks and the son does things, stuff responds. To the sun. You're getting so lost in desire that you search him first in all things. And when you're searching him first in all things, you get so lost in a beloved identity that even in the morning and even in the night, times when you feel alone, times when you feel scared... Times when you feel like you have no purpose, you're actually starting to find yourself. And when you start to walk in your true identity, there is no more fear and there is no more wondering. You're saying, I know who I am. I am a child of God. So when you say something to your sickness, the sickness says, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You're starting to walk in a different kind. They, They looked at Jesus and said, what manner of man is this? What kind is this? Who is this that even the winds obey him? I put forth to you that the more we start to seek him first and get lost in beloved identity, the reaction of the unbelievers that we are to separate ourselves from should say, what manner of man or woman is this? That when they get sick, they speak to the sickness and it goes away. That when the doctors say they have cancer, the cancer submits to healing. That when depression tries to come knock on the door, they tell depression where it can go. When temptation tries to take us off the path, for some reason, they have an unbelievable strength to say, not today. Amen. What kind is this? When this Shulamite woman woke up, her first instinct, her first desire was, "I want to be with my beloved," and when she grabbed onto him, the king reminds everyone, "Don't move her from this posture until the time is right." The time is right when you find this new posture of devotion and intimacy with God, that it is, it's your natural not to go looking but to be rested in the assurance that he is always present. You see, when the Sulamite woman started going out to town looking for this king, she was met by all of these watchmen around the city. And they asked, where where is the king? And they didn't respond. And then when she went to go back to her room, she ran into her king. In other words, he was never really gone, even though he wasn't physically present. And I think so many times in life, we have these questions like, where is God? Where is God when I need him? Where is he in this moment? I assure you that when you get lost in who you are, you realize he is with you at all times. Do we love to rest in this revelation that I don't have to go to someone else to be in the presence of God? Do we understand that we don't have to get to church to get in a greater degree of presence? The purpose of this meeting is not, I need to get in the presence of God. Because you actually walk in the presence of God at all times, whether or not you realize it. You come here to church not to get an experience with God, but rather the church coming together to get equipped. For the world to experience God. So that when you go to your workplaces and you go to your families and you go to all these places in life, they would say, what, what kind of people is this? What manner do they, what kind of man or woman blesses those who persecute them? Instead of cussing them out. Is that okay? I know, I know none of y'all do that. Y'all perfect. What what manner is this that they act in? This Shulamite woman is seeking her beloved in the night, finding him and embracing him, and the people respond. Jesus was was so lost in this identity that people looked at him and said, what is this all about? Hmm. I want to read starting in verse 6 of Song of Solomon, it says, Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? Now remember, this woman just found the king, and she's grabbed onto him, and she says, Don't get her out of this posture until she's ready. Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? Who is it? Fragrant with myrrh and frankincense and every kind of spice. Look, It is Solomon's carriage surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. They're all skilled swordsmen, experienced warriors. Each wears a sword on his thigh ready to defend the king against an attack in the night. I want to begin with the first part of verse 6 where it says, Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness? Who is this? The word this is actually a feminine singular word when you go back to the original language who is this coming out of the wilderness? It's not referring to the king. It's actually referring to the Shulamite woman, the bride. The people are saying, who is this being revealed right now? Chapter one, the Shulamite woman, if you remember, she's embarrassed because she's been working in fields her whole life with her brothers. Her her skin is scorched. She's very dark. She's not the particular beauty that they all desired maybe but her identity rested in the struggles and the hurt and the pain and what life did to her but she has gotten so lost in her beloved searching morning and night as her natural not letting go of that embrace that when she was revealed this time the people said who (laughs) that they no longer identified her as a woman from the field Rather, nobility. She's sweeping in from the wilderness. They said, We did not expect to see a woman from the field being presented in a king's wedding procession. Let me say that. Who is this woman? The woman that we know we made fun of, sun scorched skin. The woman we know we identify with. She was a nobody, she wasn't wanted. Who is this? Because the woman we see in now ain't the woman we used to know. She was no longer identified as a woman from the field. She was identified as the king's. The question I have tonight is where do you live? Identified in the wilderness or identified as a bride presented by the king? When the people of God were revealed from the wilderness in 40 years of wandering, there was a moment. When, they, when, when the enemy saw the people differently. There was a, a prophet uh, by the name of Balaam, a false prophet, if you will, actually prophesied some true things, but he wasn't giving glory to God. He was motivated by greed, and he was, he, he was denoted as evil, and he had the same exact experience that these women in the Song of Songs had when they saw this woman. He was sent by this guy named Balak to curse the people of God. And when he saw the people, this is what he says to Balak in Numbers chapter 23. He says in verse 7, this was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? I see them from the cliff tops. I watch them from the hills. That's important. I see them from the cliff tops. I watch them from the hills. I see a people who live by themselves set apart from any other nation. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like the righteous, let my life. In like theirs. And then King Balak demanded of Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you blessed them. But, but Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. He saw a people who lived by themselves set apart. When he looked at these people going to curse them, what he saw was so different that he says, who are these people? I cannot curse these people. They live differently than us, and look what I'm seeing. He is is seeing a bride revealed because they're living in such a way that is set apart. Let me say it very clearly. You want to know why the church doesn't have much authority in the world today or walking in a less degree of authority? Because when the world looks at the church, they don't see different. They see same. The only way the the enemy or people who are influenced by the enemy will be influenced by the church is when they look at the church and they say, what manner of man is this? They speak different. They talk different. There's a different language about them. There is a different culture about them. They have set apart from the things of the world. The world needs a people living according to a kingdom relevance, not a people living according to a cultural relevance. The church does not need to be relevant to culture to be effective. You know how these people got Balaam's attention? They weren't culturally relevant. They were heavenly relevant. They live so apart from culture that a man that came to curse them said, I can't touch that because he saw something different. We we have got to get to a place in our lives where we are not trying to be like the culture to influence it. Rather, we are willing to die to anything in pursuit of living set apart from the things of this world so that when people look at us, they say, what is different about you? What's funny is that Balaam is seeing all of this from the tops of rocks, the tops of the hills, mountains. He's looking down from Bamoth Baal. Baymoth Baal was a very elevated point. It was a mountain. He was looking down in the valleys. Specifically, when you're looking down in the valleys from the mountaintop, you have to look through the clouds to get to the people. Let's read verse 6 again. Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud? of smoke. Who is it fragrant with myrrh and fragrance and frankincense and every kind of spice. Other verses translate this who is this bride being revealed in the pillar of the glory cloud. And the fragrance of frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh were the ingredients of sacred anointing oil. Myrrh was used as a perfume for embalming the dead. Frankincense was burned in temples. It was a smell denoting holiness. And righteousness. You may have heard terms in the Bible like burning incense as an offering to the Lord. Or may our prayers and praise burn like an incense, like a sweet perfume. The thing about when we praise God and when we give our lives to God, a burning incense kind of worship, you know what happens when you burn incense? It creates a smoke or a cloud. And here is this woman being revealed as set apart, revealed in a glory cloud. The people Balaam saw were being revealed in a set apart glory cloud. A kingdom people are so in love with God and so seeking God, they're not revealed in this world, but the glory cloud of praise and worship among a people is revealed. And when people see through that lens, they see a set-apart kind of people. They see the frankincense and the myrrh, people who are revealed in the death and res- resurrection of Christ, people who are re- uh, revealed in holiness and righteousness, were revealed from the wandering wilderness as a people offering up our lives as a sacrifice to God because we are only identified in him. So much to where the world, when they see you, they're looking through this filter called glory, and they say, who is that? Is this making sense? Yeah. Who, who is this? But they won't see through a cloud unless you're burning the incense. And you don't burn the incense by just coming to the temple. You've got to realize that you are now the temple. So your life offered up as a praise and sacrifice is burning incense as unto the Lord. And your life becomes so much of a praise and worship dedication that what surrounds you is a cloud of glory that when people see, they say, what is different about you? She is no longer carrying the the scent of her past, the scent of her past frustrations, the scent of her letdowns, the scent of I wish it could have been like that. She is carrying the scent of holiness. She's carrying a scent that God sees as Acceptable. Your scent, your identity, the atmosphere you carry should be revealed as not of this world. So that when people see you, they're, they're being affected by this cloud and they say, why is it that when we come against you, you bless us? I'm not sure if all of us can say that. How is it that you walk in such a manner that's different than how we grew up? To where our response is, I don't live according to how I grew up. I live according to my rebirth. Because I am no no longer affected by generational curses because I am now a part of a new generation. Should I say that again? Well, you don't know how it was in my family. Well, guess what? You're no longer under the generation of your family if you say that you were born under the name of Jesus. I don't have any curses in that bloodline. And when you start to understand that, people say, why is it that you've been through such a hard life but you're not affected? Because that was my old man. And they start to see and they don't even understand they're seeing through a glory cloud. You know what God showed me in that? Have you ever heard of people uh, uh, seeing manifestations of clouds in worship? You ever heard of that? Like, oh, I see the glory cloud. Let me put forth to you, glory clouds are not an external manifestation. A glory cloud being revealed is from a people saying yes to God. God, send the glory cloud. God's like, it don't come from me. (laughs) Let me say that. I want to see the glory cloud. It comes from when you start burning. The atmosphere you carry creates a cloud that is called glory. And the scripture says, in Jesus, you go from glory to glory. So why is it that a church, a people can get to a place where sickness has to die? Because we are invested in going not from numbers to numbers, but from glory to glory. We're not trying to grow thousands of people. We're just trying to get to the next level of being revealed. Amen. Individually, which happens corporately. And sometimes that happens as many people come, but sometimes it happens with just 12 guys and then 100 people and they're in a room and all they know how to do is pray and they're not trying to put a system in, then all of a sudden tongues of fire. But it's not because they were seeking tongues of fire, they were manifested because they were burning. Hmm. Look, look at verse 7 in Song of Solomon. Look. It's Solomon's carriage surrounded by 60 heroic men. They're seeing this woman come in from the wilderness in this carriage surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. They are skilled swordsmen, experienced warriors, each wears a sword on his thigh, ready to defend the king against an attack of the night. When a king was carried through the wilderness... He was surrounded by processions to protect him. You want to know why? Because you know it was in the wilderness? Thieves and robbers. They would try to attack anyone coming with a caravan to get anything they could off of it. So he was accompanied. A king would have been accompanied by all these people to protect him. And here she is in his carriage accompanied by 60 warriors skilled with swords and ready to fight. If you remember, the Shulamite woman, when she went looking into the night, her first encounter was with watchmen. And what I've talked to you about was that the watchmen were what angels are for us now. And angels are not little babies with with bows and arrows. If you look at how cherubim are described in the Bible, it ain't little babies crying and shooting hearts. These things are fierce. These things are scary. And God says... I am presenting my bride with warriors surrounding my bride because I don't want nothing to touch you as if his strength was not enough. You, don't, you, want to know, you ever thought about that? Why does God need to send angels if he's, if he's all-powerful? I was thinking about that this week. It's as simple as this. Because there are times when you're not convinced he's all-powerful and he's got to have someone stand in the gap. So even when your faith is not strong, he says, Don't worry, I've got cherubim all around you. When, you, when you've got family members who are going astray and they will not lean into God, you know what the scripture says? You command angels to go. Okay, now, 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 it's, now it's coming. The Shulamite woman went looking in the night and her encounter was, Oh, I'm not alone. John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. You know what the peace is? This isn't up there, but in Matthew 8.20 it says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but Jesus has no place to lay his head. But something happened differently. Because in Ephesians 3.17 it says, Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down to God's love and keep you strong. He lays his head in your hearts. Or another way to say it is how a groom lays his head in the breast of his bride. You know He doesn't have a home in this world, so he finds his home in you. That's why he has made the temple worthy so that you could carry Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. You were made so right and so pure and so clean that you carry God with you wherever you go. And when you get convinced of that, the only response is, who is this? That conditions obey you. That while the world is going through recession, You increase. Can I speak into that for a second? Don't fear anything. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of your heart. Yeah, but look at all the conditions. I am not relevant to those conditions. My identity is not of this world. Because when those conditions see me, they've got to get through the cloud of glory that is burning off of this passionate temple, and it cannot pierce the walls of the place that God calls home. So you may be affected by the world, but let me show you a different kind of world that you can get to as well. You want to talk about how people come to know Jesus when they see a church thriving when they decay? And I'm not talking about thriving by building multi-million dollar campuses. I'm talking about a people walking in authority where they're not affected by the rhythms and patterns of the world. (sighs) Hmm. Some versions interpret the king's carriage. It literally says the marriage carriage or the love seat. In other words, you are seated in love. God dwells within those seated in love. And the gift of being revealed as a set-apart people is that a bride is always surrounded with no reason to fear. The part of who is this or set-apart living is the world cannot understand why fear does not exist in you. They see how you react to everything that everyone else reacts to, but you're different. They say, what kind of man is this? But you only get that confidence in Christ. He surrounds us with himself and watchmen. Why should we fear? Because we are a people revealed in praise and worship of the mighty king. You do not understand that revelation until you get lost in who you are. That's why I talk about identity so much We can talk about all the stuff we're supposed to get right, but it does not matter if you don't understand who you are. When you understand who you are, you realize what you have access to. Open heavens. Open heavens is not just about physical blessings. Open heavens is, I have access to portals called healing. Let me go there for a second. Hollywood and books and authors, do you think they came up with portals? They perverted the idea of it. You think witchcraft came up with that stuff? It perverted truth. What's truth? There are open heavens wherever I am, and all I've got to do is start burning. To where whatever I need is available to me. Did I just lose y'all? Okay, good, good. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Why do you get rest? You're in the marriage bed of a king with watchmen surrounding you. The fact of the matter is, if you deal with a level of anxiety, you don't understand how surrounded you are. If you deal with worry, let me put forth to you that it's not God, give me peace, it's You do not have a revelation that you're surrounded by peace. Because if you had a revelation that all you're surrounded by is peace and rest, no matter what comes your way, you will not be moved, you will not be shaken. And people will ask, Who is this? What you done with my friend? You different. What did Jesus tell his disciples before he was arrested? He says, fear not. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then he says, I'm sending you a helper called Holy Spirit. Think about it. What did Jesus tell the disciples? I'm preparing the marriage bed, surrounding it with angels, and I'm sending you my spirit to dwell in you and guide you. And if you will rest in a set-apart identity, the world will see the glory cloud of God in the people. Because you're getting lost not in how you grew up. You're not getting lost in who you think you are. You're getting lost in who you truly are. I've said this before. I'm not sure if I've said it recently, but I want you to think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was someone that said yes to Christians being murdered. But it wasn't when he was Paul. Paul. It was when he was Saul. And when Paul addressed the church, he said, I ain't done nothing to y'all. Now, can you imagine some of the people in church hearing that from a guy that probably was responsible for the death of some of their friends? He was so lost in his identity as as Paul that he had no relationship with the actions of Saul. Saul. And yet there are so many times, well, I did this 10 years ago. Do you realize that when you get lost in your true identity, the sinful man is not who you are? It's you have a choice to agree with that identity or in a rebirth one. That's what repentance is. Let me change the way I think so that I walk in a different direction. What different direction? Away from old man. Well, I keep asking forgiveness and I keep doing the same thing. Then you haven't repented. Because repentance is not asking for forgiveness. Repentance is, I think differently and therefore I don't choose to act. Amen. What has the church gotten wrong? Repent. Come and say you're sorry for the same thing every Sunday morning at the altar. And maybe God will give you a break. That's not repentance. Repentance is I'm walking away from that dead self, and I'm walking into set-apart identity. And this set-apart identity has no reason to fear and no reason to worry. I am full of peace, and I'm surrounded by watchmen, and I am rested in Jesus. Hmm. Look at verse 9. King Solomon's carriage is built of wood, imported From Lebanon. Its posts are silver, its canopy gold, its cushions are purple. It was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. The carriage, most accurately translated, is bridal chamber. It was King Solomon's. The king has this prepared for him and his bride. Not only were they mesmerized by this lavish decor, Of this marriage cares, the silver, the gold, the purple being symbols of authority and prestige. It was noted that he was sharing his chamber with this woman. How does she get that? She's being protected because she is no longer a woman in sun-scorched fields. She's royalty. And now she is seated in a place of authority with the king. She's loved. And his strength and his authority is now her strength and her authority. I just can't handle this. You're walking in dead man. Because the fact of the matter is, when you start to understand who you are, you can do all things, not by your strength, but through Christ who strengthens you. I can't handle this. I assure you, you can. Because you're not alone, you're surrounded. You're, you have an identity in the one who created all of it, and you're surrounded by watchmen called angels that make people scared every time they see him. You exist in the name of Jesus when demons fear and tremble at his name. You wanna know why we're scared of demons? Because we believe Hollywood's interpretation of demons rather than the scriptures. They're nothing. You wanna know how nothing they are? They show up in darkness. They cannot even present themselves unless they try to manipulate how a human looks. That's how much authority they they have none. You want to know how to really go to spiritual warfare? I ain't got nothing to worry about. I'm not going to sit in that battle. I'm going to sit seated in victory. And when you get lost in the victory in Jesus the battle that you thought you were fighting all of a sudden ceases to exist. Because the fight is not with necessarily the issue. The fight is believing you're free from the issue. Spiritual warfare defined. You're not fighting with demons. You're fighting with your mind agreeing with them. I don't know why I'm in this because that's not in my scripture. I mean, it's not in my notes. It's in the scripture. It's not in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life when I understood what spiritual warfare is all about. It's the war in your mind. What am I going to agree with? And the moment you get lost in who you are, the enemy does not stand a chance. Think about when Jesus was casting demons out of the woman. They started begging him, please don't make us go. The demon started begging him. And you know what Jesus taught to his disciples? You've got that authority now. Because you're being revealed out of your wilderness in the king's carriage or the love seat. You're being revealed as the bride. You now have authority in the name of the bridegroom. In the marriage bed, two become one. So what is offered to a people is I want to be one with you. The place where I rest my head is in you. And with oneness, you're presented in a marriage covenant. And you want to know what that marriage covenant looks like? It looks like the wood from Lebanon. It never rots. Always standing strong. It looks like silver pillars. You can't be shaken. It looks like a canopy or covering of gold. It's everlasting. It looks like a rich purple color, which is a king's royalty. It looks like you're decorated with love or in some versions say a a color of crimson, which is the blood covenant. You exist in heavenly, royal identity. And you have no reason to fret and no reason to fear and no reason to worry. So it's not, yeah, it's not God give me peace. It's God thank you that I finally believe I'm rested in it. Why isn't God giving me peace? He did that a long time ago. You ever realize a lot of times we're praying for things that we have access to? God, give me, give me, give me. He's like, it's finished. You thought he was just talking about the cross? It's finished. It's available. But you know what it's available to? A set-apart people. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I haven't experienced this stuff. I can probably tell you why. What, how set-apart are you? Can, can, can we get real? You find yourself struggling? If you start getting lost in how set apart you are, you may find how open heaven is. That's called going from glory to glory. It's not, why has God forsaken me? Why hasn't God done? Think, think about Jesus. Why has thou forsaken me? Oh, it's done. That's, that's our life. We go from... Why isn't God letting go of this thing? Why why can't I get breakthrough in this thing? When you understand that breakthrough is already done, you move. Because you realize where you're seated in. You're not seated in the struggle. You're seated in the the marriage carriage. Is this making sense? Yeah. Okay. I want to read that same scripture in the Passion Translation, verses 9 and 10. The king made this mercy seat for himself out of the finest wood that will not decay. Pillars of smoke, like a silver mist. A canopy of golden glory dwells above it. The place where they sit together is sprinkled with crimson. Love and mercy cover this carriage, blanketing his tabernacle throne. The king himself has made it for those who will become his bride. There's a mercy seat for him. The mercy seat in the Old Testament was a place for God's dwelling. And now we're offered to be one in that seat. That's fulfilling the law. You don't deserve it, but I'm buying it. He was the sacrifice that made you worthy for marriage. To be revealed as the Shulamite woman was being revealed. So when people see you, do they see separate or do they say, who is this? What manner of people talk to their stuff? Who is this people that have no fear? Who is this people that that have peace beyond all understanding? Hmm. Going back to Paul, the apostle, I want you to think about when at the end of Acts, he was on the island of Marta, and they were building a fire to get warm because they just got shipwrecked and they were swimming ashore. He gives his bundle of sticks to put them in the fire, and out from the sticks comes a venomous snake, and it bit him on the hand. And I was going to go here, this is another message, but I'll just say it, when a people burn from God, snakes are driven out of the fire, and when they leave, they try to spread their venom. I'll leave that with you. But you know what? It didn't do a thing to Paul. He got bit by a venomous snake, and what did he do? He shook it off. And look at their response in 28 verse 6, Acts 28, 6. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they waited a long time and they saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Why did they think he was a god? Because they said, what? Manner of man is this that when a snake bites him, he's not affected. And you know what happened after that? Because they saw so much power, they thought he was a god. They went and him and Luke went and healed the entire island and gave glory to the Lord. What happened? How did they have the biggest evangelism crusade? It wasn't printing up tracts. It was a people revealed as set apart to where natural things that should have caused their death did not touch them. You want to know how Savannah is going to get saved? You want to know how this reason is coming to know Jesus? When they see a people that are so set apart, when they're searching for life, they say, how do you have it? When life comes at you, do they see you react like everyone else? Or do they see a people presented in the mercy seat of God where we're revealed as a kind, not of this world, but of heaven? Song of Solomon 311. Come out to see King Solomon, young woman of Jerusalem. He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, his most joyous day. As the bride is revealed, it still points toward the king with the crown. But here's what's interesting. The crown here is not the crown in a king's ceremony. This particular crown is a wedding crown for his bride. And you know what the wedding crown was made of? Branches. And the king bought back the marriage with another kind of crown of branches called a crown of You think that was just something the Romans came up with? They had no idea that they were putting the marriage crown on Jesus. All because he wants his people to be revealed from an intimate relationship. Are you so caught up on the revelation of who God is that all you can do is point to him? John the Baptist actually had the same kind of revelation. This was prophesied about John the Baptist in Luke 1.17. I want you to see this. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 11. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived. None is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Pause. The next time you think about how amazing John the Baptist is, Jesus says, you're greater. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Before John came... All the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. The one with the prophets that will come. There was, revel- there was prophecy saying that Elijah would come back. That is what Jews are still waiting on. Jesus says, John the Baptist is the Elijah. Priests in the temple came to question John. Now, I want you to think about this. John's being revealed as Elijah. And the priests are like, "Mm mm-mm. They're not having this. There's tons of people in the religious areas who are like, no, 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 no. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Now, watch what happens when the priests come to John in John 1. 23, John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Let me just pause there. Sometimes you don't need your own words. You get lost in who you are, he will give you whatever words he's got to say and I guarantee you they're not original. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, but right do you have to baptize? John told him, well, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you don't recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of the sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, now think about all this attention on John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All eyes were on John. And he said, look, he's the one I was talking about. When I said a man's coming after me who is far greater than I, he existed long before me. Here's what I'm wanting to point out. All eyes were on John. John being revealed. Maybe as the next Elijah, as they were, been, they were hearing, and they're like, oh my gosh, look at John, look at John. The exact same thing happened when the Shulamite woman was coming in the carriage. And her only thing she said was, come out to see King Solomon. They saw, wow, look at how changed she is. Look at how royal she is. Look at how much authority she has. She's different. She's a different kind. She's not like she was. And she says... Come out to see the king. John, look at all this authority John's walking in and the greatness John's walking in. He's baptizing and he says, Look right there, the king. They were pointing toward the one their eyes were fixed on. Who is this? They asked. There's different kind. There's different people. <clears throat> the disciples and all of them were on the upper room, and people ran because they heard a different sound. And Peter started preaching. Because they were, they were experiencing something they had they hadn't seen before. The world does not need another cool gathering, with good music and high-def TVs. The world needs a people who don't operate like the world. That doesn't mean just you get your sin life right. I'm talking about a people who have access to things that don't make sense. A people who are operating in authority from heaven. I believe wholeheartedly moving from glory to glory as we get to the place where wind and waves obey us like they believe Jesus. Let me push a little bit. Getting so lost in identity that we don't have to evacuate, we just speak. Are we there yet? No. But are we willing to get so lost in him knowing that that's what he wants to reveal to the world. Getting so lost in him that when the doctor tells you one thing, you don't give it a single second of agreement. Getting so lost in him that when your your heart tries to tell you one thing, you tell your heart no no no, I'm submitting to the truth of the king. You are a people of heaven. Let us walk out of here tonight saying, Jesus, I want to be revealed. Show me who I am. And I'll tell you, you want to know who you are? Look at him. The first of many. He gave his life so you could be reborn into a different kind. Let us become the kind. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? who is this? Who is this people? That is what it means to see people come alive in Christ. Our life is not identified in our failures or even our successes. It's just identified in who he is. Get lost in them. I want you to know that as we close tonight, this altar is open. If you need time to talk to God, take as much time as you want. If you need prayer, Just come up here and stand. We'll pray with you. Just put it all out there tonight. Be revealed. Maybe you've been struggling. And you don't know how you're going to get through this part of your life. Or the struggle you've been facing. Let me tell you. There is victory in Jesus. It's not just a saying. There is victory. It's available. And all you need to do is not... Well, I got to get all my sin right so I can get victory. No, all you've got to do is understand who you are in his name. When you get lost in that, everything else starts to line up. You know why? Because God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. If you have desire for sin, a part of you has not been revealed even to yourself. Because it's a different desire. And what we don't need to do is beat ourselves up. Well, I got this one, I got this one, no, no, no. There's a part of me that's not lost in who I truly am. So let me lean into him. Jesus, show me who I am. You know what he says? He says, you're not the victim. You're the conqueror. You're the victor. Because I bought that for you. Spiritual warfare summed up. Believe what he did. He set you free. God, we thank you for freedom. We thank you that you paid a horrible, a horrible price so that we could live. As we leave this place tonight, God, or even as we stay in here, God, show us. Show us who we truly are so that every action is no longer about getting sin right, but walking into a true marriage covenant with you where sin cannot exist. Give people in this room the confidence to walk in who they are. The bride seated in the mercy seat. I speak over every situation that has come to minds tonight as I've given this message. That you are going to have ridiculous success in the things that you were struggling with before you walked in this room. And that the word that has gone forth is going to take so much authority in your life that you'll never have to struggle with it again. And then people are going to look at you and see that you're free from that struggle and they're going to say, who is this? And you'll say, it's not me, it's Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. I love you guys. This altar is open if you need it, if you want to stay in worship, whatever you want to do. See you next week.